read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. As we heard in the previous segment, one of the top priorities for the conservative majorities at the General Assembly this year is a bill that would dramatically expand the state's controversial private school voucher program. Under the legislation, all North Carolina households with kids, even wealthy families who already send their children to exclusive and expensive private schools, would be eligible for large taxpayer-funded subsidies. What's more, as I learned in a conversation I had with one of the state's most knowledgeable education policy experts, the North Carolina Justice Center's Chris Nordstrom, it's a plan that has the potential to fundamentally remake K-12 through education in our state in some deeply troubling ways. Well, Chris Nordstrom, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. As we speak, we're in crossover week at the North Carolina General Assembly, just a whirlwind of activity in the world of public education policy. Let's start with this uh, rather remarkable voucher legislation that we're now considering at the North Carolina General Assembly that seems as if it's really designed to sort of radically remake public education in our state. You know, these voucher bills, you know, there's two bills, one going through the Senate, one going through the House, they're sister bills. (laughs) They really will radically alter our uh, education landscape here in North Carolina by dramatically privatizing the schools. You know, they call for basically a tripling of our current voucher program. And, you know, more troubling is they change the eligibility requirements for the voucher program, which originally was sold to North Carolinians as a program to help, to quote unquote, help low-income North Carolinians attend private schools. The changes in this bill will send half of the money to rich parents who are already enrolled in private schools. So they lift any income requirements or any requirement that you previously had to be enrolled in public school, which means that rich families who have always been enrolled in private schools had never any intention of being in a public school will all of a sudden find themselves eligible to get between $3,200 and $7,200 from taxpayers to subsidize sending their kids to private schools that they're already attending. It's a remarkable set of affairs. I guess there have been in the past, there have been legal challenges to these uh, schemes, but at this point with the current makeup of the state Supreme Court, there seems to be little prospect for any court intervention in this matter. I'm not optimistic that the courts will intervene. What I'm, you know, pinning my hopes on is that folks will realize that this is just a massive giveaway to wealthy North Carolinians and to the donor class, and that really they'll notice the corruption at the heart of this proposal is that it's taxpayer money going to these families you know, families like Trisha Cothams, who are, is allegedly, you know, has her son enrolled in an exclusive private school in Charlotte. She will suddenly find herself getting at least $3,200 per year from taxpayers. You know, the average family that uh, has a student enrolled in a private school, their family income is twice that of the typical family in North Carolina. And that's who benefits from this bill. It's really a disgusting transfer of wealth. Representative Cotham, of course, a former Democratic legislator who made a remarkable switch to the Republicans just a few weeks ago. You know, the voucher program, one of the things I've always been struck by is that we really don't even know how students in voucher schools do, right? I mean, there's no particular accountability for the performance or any way to measure that they're that they're faring well or, or, or doing in, in any way better than kids in traditional public schools. Am I right about that? Yeah, well, we don't have any accountability for the specific North Carolina program, and that is by design. You know, advocates have been pushing legislators to have actual accountability, to create the program in a way that allows us to see 
if voucher students are doing better or worse than they would have done in public schools, but the uh, bill sponsors have refused to implement those changes because even though that providing information to parents to make informed decisions would seem to be sort of at the basis of, is a central pillar of any market-based reform. Um, but we do know that from other states that have, uh, you know, big statewide voucher programs. So if you look at Indiana, you look at Ohio, you look at Louisiana, all of those states that have had evaluations of their statewide voucher programs, the results have been horrific. The test results have been on par with what we've seen, you know, from the academic impact of Hurricane Katrina on students in New Orleans, or, uh, you know, in the case of uh, the voucher programs in Ohio and Louisiana, the negative impact on test results has been on par or actually exceeded what we saw from the pandemic. Rightly, you've seen a lot of families concern, you know, a lot of politicians as well concerned with the impact of the pandemic on student performance, yet they're about to inflict the same or worse, most likely, on students by uh, expanding these voucher programs. Am I right that it's literally hundreds of millions of dollars that will eventually flow to private schools from taxpayers? Yeah, so that's one of the other wild features of this bill is that it gets guaranteed funding increases into the 2030s at full funding, at least for the present time, uh, this program will go from about $180 million a year to $550 million a year. And again, half of that money will be flowing directly into the pockets of wealthy North Carolinians. It's the only education program in our state that has guaranteed increases of funding. It happens to be the one education program that directly benefits the pocketbooks of wealthy North Carolinians. And this comes at a time when our traditional public school system, where the vast, vast majority of you know, 1.5 million students attend, and where the vast majority of school choice occurs, where those schools are dramatically underfunded, arguably the most underfunded schools in the country. We're talking with Chris Nordstrom, who's a senior policy analyst with the North Carolina Justice Center's Education and Law Project about some of the disturbing developments in the public education policy world, uh, particularly the North Carolina General Assembly. You alluded to the fact that we're now going to shift hundreds of millions of dollars to private voucher schools at a time when our traditional public schools are struggling. I thought there was a court order from the state <laughs> Supreme Court that said that the legislature was supposed to end this um, situation in which our schools were so poorly funded. I take it that's sort of just been ignored? I think that's an accurate description of the Leandro case. You know, the Leandro case has been going on for 30 years and as you referenced in November, the Supreme Court ruled that the state, you know, once again, as they've Consistently, uh, consistently ruled over the 30-year course of the case that the state is not doing its job to provide every student in the state with access to decent schools, uh, ordered the state to fund this detailed research-based community-supported Leandro plan that would provide, uh, that would finally provide constitutionally funded schools by the year 2028. And you're right, the General Assembly has just ignored the plan. When you look at the budget proposals that we've seen so far, you know, the governor's proposal would fund these next two years of the plan, years four and five of the plan, would have fully funded the plan. The House budget proposal, which is the only budget proposal we've seen at this point, still waiting on the Senate and the final General Assembly proposal, but that House budget proposal only funded less than 10% of the plan. So that does not bode well for students first and foremost, yeah. but it also really poses a constitutional crisis where we have a legislature, a rogue legislature that continues to think that they can just ignore the pieces of our state constitution that they find inconvenient. 
One thing that we continually hear from the Republican leaders of the North Carolina General Assembly is we're spending record amounts on public education. I saw Speaker Moore say that the other day in a presser about the voucher legislation. That's not really accurate, is it? I mean, it, maybe it is in, in general terms, but when you look at inflation, when you look at the size of the student population, my impression is that North Carolina public schools have funding has really fallen or, or certainly not risen very significantly in recent years. Yeah, that's accurate. You know, when you're running your schools correctly, every year should be a record year of funding because you have more students, you have inflation, things get more expensive. So saying that you have a record level of school funding, yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to work. But when you look at the state of school funding in North Carolina, and you compare us to other states, our per student funding ranks about 42nd. Um, when you look at our school funding effort, which is the amount of spending we do on our public schools relative to the size of our economy, which gives a little bit better of an apples to apples comparison uh, from a cost perspective, we rank dead last in the country, um, 50th out of 50. And when you look at the number of students attending inadequately funded districts, uh, we again rank dead last. So despite having nominal school spending levels that are higher than previously inadequate nominal school spending levels, uh, you know, it's not enough and it's not what our students deserve. And, you know, we know that from looking at the experiences of students in North Carolina schools, seeing crumbling school buildings, seeing the lack of opportunities that a lot of students have, you know, and we also know it from 30 years of the Leandro court case. One huge problem that we've been wrestling with in the state in recent years is just a, a decline in the interest of people going into the teaching profession, a lot of teachers leaving North Carolina. You've written about the fact that even some other, I'm always struck by this fact that Alabama of all states has actually moved ahead of North Carolina in terms of the, the compensation it provides to its public school teachers. I take it we're not seeing any reversal of this trend that we're, we're losing teachers and having trouble filling the jobs with qualified people. Yeah. So, you know, the teacher shortage is really a, uh, you know, it's a national phenomenon, but it's particularly acute in North Carolina, um, where school or teacher salaries over the last 10 years have fallen further behind the national average. Um, and it's a central pillar of the Leandro plan is to address that teacher shortage by paying teachers competitively with other professions in North Carolina. Unfortunately, the General Assembly is not following that path. And it's a path that like you said, other conservative Southern states like Alabama, Mississippi, they're responding to the teacher shortage by giving substantial across the board pay raises to teachers. North Carolina seems to be one of the few, if only states where lawmakers really don't seem that interested you know, beyond the governor of providing substantial across the board pay raises for teachers. The General Assembly is stuck on this cockamamie scheme that Instead of providing competitive pay, the true solution to addressing the teacher shortage, and again, it's one where we had vacancies of one in 20 classrooms on the 40th day of the school year, they think that the true solution is a performance pay scheme rather than adequate pay across the board, you know, making teachers compete against each other for, for scraps, really. Chris, do you have any vision of what their vision is here? What the end game is? Is it really that uh, there is an intention here to, to basically privatize public education, to end K through 12 public education as we've come to know it in this nation. Is that really where this is headed? It's tough to speculate, but it's also tough to move away from that conclusion, given the way that uh, they've systematically underfunded our schools. And then also through A through F performance grades, they stigmatize those schools, and then they provide 
additional funding and resources to these private providers, you know, that shifts money into the pockets of wealthy North Carolinians and privatizers. Um, it really does seem like they're trying to create, if not necessarily just a fully privatized system, certainly one system that would apply for low-income North Carolinians and another system that would apply for wealthy white North Carolinians. And that's yeah. what's really troubling. Yeah, it's almost like an educational apartheid is what it yeah. almost feels like. Chris, all hope is not lost, though. There are people still <laughs> working hard to, to combat this trend, to push, to push back, to take our state back to a place it needs to be. I, I take it people could learn more about the efforts that you, you and the folks at the North Carolina Justice Center and the Education and Law Project are leading in this cause. Is there other ways people could find out, learn more, websites they should check out? Sure. Of course, you know, follow us at the Justice Center. I would also point folks to the Every Child NC Coalition. That's a group of education advocates across the state, organizations and individuals who are working to ensure that all students in North Carolina have access to constitutional schools and that we see we push uh, state lawmakers to fully implement and sustain the Leandro plan. Check them out at ncjustice.org and everychildnc.org. Chris Nordstrom is a senior policy analyst with the North Carolina Justice Center's Education and Law Project and one of the most um, just most insightful experts on public education in our state. We're so honored to have had you with us, Chris. Please keep up the good work and uh, we'll check in again later this year. Sounds good, Rob. Thanks. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, it's Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.